Welcome to Motherhood Exposed. Join me, Zoe Cresswell, mum of two and a UK-trained midwife and doula, as I meet with an array of amazing women navigating life and motherhood. Since becoming a mum for the second time, after my own complex journey, I've become more and more aware that motherhood is so unique. There's no one story the same, and women need support now more than ever. I hope by allowing mothers to openly speak out, we can help to break the silence around many topics. We need to shout out that there is no normal, and that is something we need to embrace. Motherhood isn't always picture perfect, so let's bust some myths, realign expectations, and share the journey together. Hello, happy new year. Finally, 2021 is here, and I'm sure you're all as excited and also perhaps as nervous as I am to see what it has in store for us. The start of a new year often brings resolutions of fitness and a healthy lifestyle. So I thought I'd start the 2021 podcast with my chat to Lucy, also known as Mother of One and founder of the Rainbow Running Club. While going through infertility and baby loss, Lucy discovered that running gave her back a sense of control, joy and purpose. She realised if running could do this for her, then why not for other women also going through the tribulations of trying to conceive and loss? And there, the Rainbow Running Club was born. Keep listening to hear all about it. Hi, Lucy. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you so much for asking me to be a guest on your podcast. Oh, you're so welcome. It's so lovely to have you. Um, How are things in the UK? So you've just come out of lockdown and obviously you're getting ready for Christmas. So what's the general, what's the vibe like? Uh, I think everyone's a bit confused at the moment because we've come out of lockdown, <laughs> but now we're all in different tiers and each yeah. tier has different rules and regulations. So we might be out of lockdown. I think the only real difference here is that the shops are open, so non-essential shops are open, mm-hmm. uh, but you still can't do an awful lot. So, no. um, But over Christmas, I think the restrictions are lifting a little for a few days. So hopefully that will mean more people can spend time with their families over Christmas. Yeah. And have you got plans for Christmas? Uh, we're just going to have a really small Christmas, just the three of us. Um, my husband oh. had to shield over the summer. So we're still being super cautious and not really doing very much at the moment. Oh. So uh, yeah, we're just having Christmas, the three of us at home, which will be different. But that's lovely too. Yeah, lovely too. We've done yeah. that before as well, and it's nice. <laughs> yeah, I do think that would be quite nice to just go at our own pace and do it how we would like to do it. So, Absolutely. I bet the day will still completely vanish in front of your eyes <laughs> as well. <laughs> cooking, tidying. <laughs> I know it's the cooking. It always takes too long. <laughs> yeah. Even if I prep for like three days beforehand, I still find myself rushing to get everything on the table for like three o'clock or something. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Awesome. So I always um, start my podcast with the same question, which is um, how you met your husband. So we met when we were 19. So we're very young. Yes. Um, And we met because my friend was dating my husband's friend um, and they'd been dating since they were 15, I think. So even longer. Wow. And um, my friend and I were supposed to be going out for like a girls' night out and um, her boyfriend wanted her to go to this barbecue and she said, oh, come with me. And I was like, I can't come. Like everyone's in couples. And she was like, oh, no, there's two single guys there. You should come. Um, 
and it's really funny because my husband is really chatty and really outgoing and he will talk to anybody and that's <laughs> what I was told before I got there and he didn't say anything to me all evening <laughs> because he was really shy which is very oh, very no. unlike him <laughs> so, so was, the, was it love at first sight for him then I, I think that uh, there was an attraction <laughs> so uh, yeah and then I was out on a night out a few weeks later and I got a missed call to say we're having another barbecue and he really wants you to come so uh, off I went and that was that (laughs) oh and are your is your friend and her boyfriend are they still together yes they're married and they've got three children now oh wow yeah yeah so we've yeah we've been together for 17 years (laughs) no way (laughs) Gosh! Oh wow! So, when did you start trying for children? At what what stage did that start? Uh, So we moved in together. We bought our house when we were twenty eight, and when I hit thirty, I thought, really want to have a baby. And you kind of have this ticking biological clock that seems to get Mm -hmm. louder and louder. And I kind of got myself in a bit of a state, and I was like, I'm thirty. I can't hang around anymore. We need to get on with this. Um, so with no sign of a marriage proposal in sight, (laughs) we decided to uh, go for trying to have a baby. So we started trying shortly after my 30th birthday and within a couple of months, I was shocked to find that we were pregnant, um, which was a surprise. And my husband's like, well, why is this a surprise? Because this is what we wanted to happen. I think it was still a bit of a shock. Um, and it was the day that um, Prince William and Kate announced that they were having a baby as well, their first baby. Um, so yes, I was pregnant. Um, but then sadly, at seven weeks, I started bleeding um, and I had a miscarriage. Um which I knew it was something that could happen, but I don't think you ever really think it's something that's going to happen to you. So it was a no. real shock. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't really know anybody else who'd had a miscarriage. Um, I didn't really know what that entailed, how long it would take to recover, what the emotional fallout from that would be. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a lot to deal with. Um, yeah. And then... A couple of months later, we decided we were ready and we wanted to start trying again. And then absolutely nothing happened and I couldn't get pregnant again. And we had all the tests um, and we got a diagnosis of unexplained secondary infertility, um, which was... At what point did you get that diagnosis? So that was two years after my miscarriage, um... And that, I think, was the longest two years of my life because everything was revolving around trying, taking pregnancy tests, ovulation tests, every vitamin, every potion and lotion going mm-hmm. um, and just nothing happening. And I feel like now looking back over those two years, I just became lost in this desire to have a baby and it wasn't happening and I felt like as every month passed a little bit of me was getting lost as well because everything else lost importance it was just all about having a baby and once you've decided that that's what you really would like it's really difficult to switch that off and Mm -hmm. to think about anything else and you're constantly frightened to plan anything or to book anything because you're always in the back of your mind thinking 
well, I'll be pregnant by then or I'll have a baby yeah. by then. Yeah, or and what then if. Those, yeah, what if. And then all those events come round and you still don't have a baby and you haven't moved any further forward. And it was really soul-destroying. It was really, really difficult time. How is your relationship with your husband during that time? He has always been very good at calming me down. I'm the one that panics and worries about everything and he's the one that's like take it in our stride what will you know what will be will be we'll we'll get through this um I don't think he had the same sense of impatience that I had um but it did bring us closer together um and we went to counseling together and we talked about all of our feelings and emotions and it really did bring us a lot lot closer together which I'm that's really amazing actually for. yeah and what, whose choice was it to do counselling? Uh, it was a joint decision because we got to the point where we were both really unhappy. Um, because I, I just don't think we knew how to express to each other how we were feeling. And I'm prone to an emotional outburst. <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't deal so well with those. So it was really good going to counselling and talking it all through. And it really helped us. So it really prepared us then that when we got to the point of starting IVF, we knew we could talk to each other about anything. Um, so it's really helped us. That's really amazing, actually. That's awesome. Um, so you were given the, the diagnosis of um, unexplained infertility or secondary infertility. Um, when, when, where, where, at what point did the IVF start from there then? So we were told that we had to be trying to conceive for two years um, to be eligible for treatment and we got to that two-year point when we got the unexplained infertility diagnosis um, and then in our area the rulings changed and it had to be three years of you trying um, and I just couldn't do another year because that I must have been shattering it was it was pretty awful <laughs> we were just about to get married as well at this point oh um, and even the gp was like well this is something i haven't heard of before so she was like looking into it for us and then she's like i'm sorry but it's three years so you've got to go away and come back in another year and the hospital were like don't worry we'll book you in an appointment for next year and i was just thinking can't do oh, another gosh. year of this like no. i need to get going like you you you're constantly being told, you know, you're over 30, your fertility's declining, and now you're telling me that I need to hold on another year. Um, so thankfully, we were really fortunate that we were in the position that we had some savings, so we decided that we would go privately. So then, after the NHS and everything taking a really long time, things then suddenly sped up because we had initial appointments and then we got going with IVF. So we started in the September um, and then I think I had my egg collection November time. Uh, but I, quite quick. Yeah, it was quite quick process once we got going. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But I had ovarian hyperstimulation after my egg collection, which is when they remove all the um, eggs and then the sacs that they were in fills with fluid. Um, so both my ovaries were like the size of grapefruits <laughs> and I was in excruciating pain and really unwell. Um, so the doctors decided that it would be best to freeze the embryos that we had because mm -hmm. if they went on and transferred them, then it would make the OHSS worse. Yeah. 
And at this point, I couldn't eat or drink or sleep or sit down or anything. So that was a very sensible decision then? Yeah, so it was, but it didn't. I knew it was the right decision, but it just felt like we were so close and now the hurdles yeah. have been moved again. Um, so I had to wait a few months to get my body back together again. And then we started again in the new year, uh, 2017. Um, and... In March, we had a transfer, and we found out in April that we were expecting. Um, and again, at seven weeks, I had really heavy bleeding, and I thought, gosh, here we go again. I can't do this again. After all we've been through with the IVF, um, and we called the clinic, and they said, well, you're coming in tomorrow. There's nothing we can do, so you'll just have to – if it gets worse overnight, you'll have to go to A&E, but otherwise we'll see you tomorrow – and I think that was the longest night of my oh, life. Oh, wow. Yeah, absolutely. And I just and thought... Did the, did the bleeding just come out of nowhere? Or yeah, did you I'd just gone for a walk. With, no, no pain. And I'd just been for a walk with my friend. And I thought, it's really strange. I feel like I've wet myself. What's going on? Oh. And I went to the toilet and there was just blood everywhere. And it was so much more than when I'd had my first miscarriage that I just thought, it's game over, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. But the only thing that I did think that was different was I didn't have any pain. So I didn't know what that meant, but I didn't expect to go to the fertility clinic and to see anything on the scan. Um, miraculously, we went in the next day and there was a teeny tiny baby with a heartbeat. Um, wow. Which was incredible. And I, yeah, I don't think either of us could quite believe it. Um, but they said I had a blood clot in my womb and that was what was bleeding. And if I didn't, go to bed for the next three weeks and not do anything then I risked the chance of the blood clot coming away and taking the baby with it because it was bigger than the baby at that point so yeah spent the next three weeks anxiously waiting um to get Gosh, how, how was that just being on bed rest for three weeks <laughs> it was horrible everyone thinks oh the thought of being in bed you know sounds lovely but when you can't do anything and you just was terrified and it felt mm-hmm. never-ending um and, and also really, I think when you're when you're when you're scared or worried about something then you distract yourself you find yeah. things to do or you go for a walk or yeah. a run or bake some cakes or go to work or whatever you you, you find a way but if you're just on bed rest and it was it would you just find that all you were doing was thinking about the pregnancy and yeah and what and if yeah and you try to like watch tv or have like my mum would come around and visit but it was just all you could think about um so it was a really anxious time but we made it to 10 weeks and we had a heartbeat and uh the blood clot had gone so that was amazing a relief so then after that I had a normal pregnancy um and our daughter was born in the November on her due date <laughs> gosh <laughs> and how was how you just sort of said you you had a normal pregnancy how was the rest of the pregnancy did you did you feel like your anxiety levels settled or was it were you always slightly slightly nervous yeah I don't think I fully allowed myself to believe that I would be coming home with the baby until she was actually here and I remember that was all we kept saying for the first 24 hours like I can't believe she's real I can't believe she's here because I don't think until that point yeah I'd let myself believe that she she would come home with us so it was a long a long time (laughs) yeah and were you able to do all the preparations and everything? Did you stay quite cautious with buying things for her? And um... I, 
I did until after the 20-week scan and then I slowly started to feel a bit more confident. I think once I could feel her moving around yeah. and ticking me, I think I felt more reassured. But even so, we didn't do her nursery or anything until like October, I don't think. Um, <laughs> and I remember going to like pregnancy yoga and things. I'm just not really feeling like I've fitted in because everyone yeah. else was just so excited and so blissfully unaware of how traumatic it could be then mm -hmm. yeah I didn't really feel like I belonged so at this point you'd never met anyone else who'd kind of been through a similar experience or no or not IVF really I my managers at work had had IVF but and one of my close friends had so that helped me but I didn't know of anybody else really that had gone through it so um it was quite isolating and at mm -hmm. the time I didn't really feel comfortable talking about it with everybody either I think I felt ashamed that all my friends were just popping out babies easily oh. around me and I couldn't do that and I just didn't really feel like I belonged with them all mm -hmm. it was, no, yeah. I think that's quite a, a common feeling that comes from from people who've been through fertility um in or fertility issues in, in whatever way and how was her birth? Uh, well, I went with the mindset I wouldn't have a plan because you can't really plan when you don't know how it's going to go. I had an yep. idea that I wanted to have a water birth and um, you know, I wasn't going to have any pain relief or anything. Uh, and then my waters broke and I didn't go into labour. So I had to go into hospital and be induced. So that was not something that um, I was particularly <laughs> keen on. That wasn't on the, on the non-plan. <laughs> that wasn't on the non-plan. And I wasn't very keen on the idea. I remember getting to hospital and just like being in the bed, saying to my husband, I want to go home. I don't want to do Aww. this. Um, but I had the pessary for the induction and that didn't do anything. Um, but meanwhile, you're on a ward with other women who are being induced as well, um, two of whom went into like full-blown labour in the middle of the night. <laughs> no sleep then. No, and I think when you're about to give birth, you don't really want to hear other people <laughs> giving birth around you. I found it really traumatic. It really oh, traumatised Because no. I was terrified because I just thought, God, it sounds horrendous. <laughs> And I think had you, you know, had you done any um, antenatal classes or anything? Yes, and I watched like one born every minute, and you know. <laughs> done your homework there. I'd watched things, and I knew I knew what I was letting myself in for. But I, I just think you kind of block that bit out. You don't really want to. You just know yeah. you're going to get through it, and however you get through it, you will. Um, but yeah, I didn't want to hear other people in labour. That was quite traumatic. So then I eventually. Um, got moved to the birthing suite and had to be put on the hormone drip to induce labour so at this point I think we were two days in hadn't had any sleep I was exhausted and they said this is going to happen quite quickly now um, the contractions will be quite fast we would suggest that if you want an epidural now's the time that you have one and so I went for the epidural um, so then I didn't really feel any contractions, which is something now that I'm sad that I didn't get to experience what that felt like. But mm -hmm. at the time, it was the right thing to do because I was just exhausted and I just needed yeah. to try and get some yeah. sleep. No, um, 100%. So 
uh, yeah, we, we, I was induced in about, I think about eight hours later, our daughter arrived. Um, wow, that's brilliant. Yeah. That's amazing. But um, she literally arrived in about five minutes because I started pushing and then her heart rate dropped. So they, the doctors came in and they said that they were going to do a forceps delivery. So that was like 8.20. And by 8.25, she was here. So, um, and thankfully she was fine and she got out. Amazing. So, yeah. So none of it was really how I had envisaged, but <laughs> I didn't care because she was here safe and that was all that mattered. That's incredible. And what were those first sort of few weeks like with her? They, I just remember just staring at her all the time and just <laughs> in this complete bubble of love and just awe that we finally had our baby and she was here and she was real. Um, and then obviously the exhaustion and the, <laughs> and the pain of recovering from the forceps delivery and water retention and all those glamorous things <laughs> I think it was all a bit of a blur but um yeah it was am- amazing amazing um so can you tell me what you then went on to do yes so shortly before my daughter turned one I found myself uh staring at disbelief at a positive pregnancy test um we weren't in- trying we weren't not trying but we both kind of had resided ourselves to the fact that we probably wouldn't be able to get pregnant naturally because it never happened well it hadn't happened since our first attempt um so that was quite a shock um and thinking gosh I'm gonna have two children under two this is gonna be a lot to deal with um and I remember when I had when I'd given birth, the midwife said to me, oh, you'll be fine next time round because you've done, your body's done it now. It knows what it's doing. You'll be okay. So I kind of, and I thought the same, you know, I've carried a baby to full term now, so things should be okay this time. Um, and I was booked to have a private scan at seven weeks and on that was on the Monday and on the Friday night, I miscarried our baby at home um, just before that scan. So that was a shock because I kind of naively thought it would be okay the next time round. Um, I'm so sorry. Thank you. And then that kind of made us think, we do really want to have another baby. So we decided we wouldn't hang about. We would get back on it and try again. And miraculously, I got pregnant again. And we got to seven weeks and we had a scan and we had a heartbeat. And it all looked really positive and if I felt exactly as I had with my daughter. So I just thought this time, hopefully we're going to get to bring our baby home. Um, but at 10 weeks, we went back for a scan and I found out that our baby's heart had stopped beating at eight weeks and I'd had a mis- miscarriage. So that that was the hardest. Oh, sorry. Thank yeah. you. That was just, I was just heartbroken. And the other two were hard, but this one felt even more cool because I, my body felt pregnant. Mm-hmm. I looked pregnant. I'd even been asked like a few days before if I was pregnant. And yeah, it was just such a shock. I knew as soon as the doctor started scanning me what was going to come next because I could just tell from his face. But I remember sitting in the waiting room excitedly chatting to my husband and saying, you know, we're going to find out what we're having and I think we're having a girl and... And yeah, and then just how quickly everything gets tipped upside down. And I just remember coming back from that appointment and holding my daughter so tightly and just, 
hysterically crying um and then I was thinking how am I going to keep going because I can't go to bed and just hide until I feel better I've got to keep going for her Mm -hmm. um so I didn't really know what to do or where to start and I was reading Jessica Hepburn's book 21 miles at the time and it tells of her story of trying and failing to have a family and then how that inspired her to swim the channel and in doing so she interviewed different women and some were mothers and some weren't and it was just really inspiring and I felt really motivated after reading her book to do something and to set myself a challenge so I decided that I really wanted to run and I'd never really run before but I set myself the goal that I wanted to run 5k and I downloaded the app and off I went and it felt really really hard when I first started <laughs> and so I just the, thought, the couch I yeah yeah and I just thought like a minute felt like a lifetime but within a few months I'd got to 5k and I just felt so much better about my body because for so long I told myself that I wasn't good enough and that I'd failed and my body had let me down and now it was doing something that I wanted it to do and it was running and it was getting better at it and I couldn't believe how happy it made me feel because I've never really been a sporty person. You know, I've got no coordination. I hadn't really ever found my thing. I love yoga, but running, I just come back and I have such a high and I just feel so happy and it just made me feel so much better. And I thought, I can't be the only person that has been through all of these experiences and I can't be the only person that could benefit from running. So I said to my friend, I'm thinking about setting up a running club for women who've experienced infertility and loss. What do you think? Do you think it's a crazy idea? And she said, no, I think it's a brilliant idea and I'll do it with you. And that gave me the confidence to do it because I wasn't that brave about doing it on my own. Um, So to know that if nobody turned up, it would just be the two of us and we'd just go for a run. So um, in July... 2019 I launched the Rainbow Running Club on Instagram um, and we held our first run in September last year in Hartford which is about half an hour away from where I live Um, and I chose there because it had a really lovely vibe and loads of women supporting women and beautiful venue so off we set didn't really know how many people were going to turn up because I knew it was a big ask because I was asking people to talk about something that I know that I'd kept hidden this was the first time I was talking about it openly so I knew that other people probably didn't want to talk about it openly either to come and meet me a stranger from the internet (laughs) to go for a run um and then to eat cake um and I remember the whole way there hold on we eat the cake (laughs) yeah yeah you missed the important bit out yeah I had to make it appealing so (laughs) we were the rainbow running and cake club because cake's important and I just Absolutely, thought, always. How, how am I going to persuade people that this is a good idea? <laughs> <laughs> Promise them cake at the end and then hopefully they'll come. And so, sorry, just to go back a step, how did you advertise? Like, how did you let so people know? It was all on Instagram. I set up a website um, and then I contacted um, quite a few people on Instagram and asked them if they would help me to share. And I was blown away by how supportive everybody was and how much people wanted to help me. Um, so we had 25 women turn up 
to our first run which was just that's amazing mind-boggling because I thought if one or two turn up we'll have done well <laughs> and so did any of them know each other no some people had <gasps> brought their mums or their friends with them because I said to yeah. them, you don't have to come alone you can bring a friend or your mum mm-hmm. or your sister um but nobody knew each other at that point um so it's really nerve-wracking but um, that's incredible it was amazing so we set off and some of us ran and some of us walked and I wanted to make it open to everybody so you don't have to run to be a part of our community you can walk so my friend Gemma and I host the events together so I go with Mm -hmm. the girls who want to run and she goes with the girls who want to walk so no one gets left behind had visions of awful PE lessons at school and being made <laughs> yeah. to feel like you can't keep up and you're really rubbish yeah. so I didn't want anybody to feel like that um and to be honest most people come and just go for a walk which is you know perfectly fine but I just mm-hmm. think that that part breaks the ice so because you're out there's things to talk yeah, about yeah you don't have to like stare at someone in, like, no. in the eyes you can no. just you know you're you side by look, side look, look, look at yeah. yeah exactly and you can be like oh it's a lovely day today oh look at that cute little dog over there or something you know there's yeah. just something to like you know straight into it but the conversations do quite quickly turn very personal because obviously everybody knows why each other's there yeah yeah um but it might sound like it's really depressing everybody chatting about you know the the most horrendous parts it, of their you know, life. It really, it really doesn't. Um, you're speaking to <laughs> you're speaking to a runner and to someone who's been through it as well, and it sounds amazing. I just think yeah. it's such an awesome idea. I think it, it's incredible. It's really uplifting seeing everyone talking to each other and supporting each other and hugging. And obviously, there are tears, but there's also like a sense of relief that you're not alone yeah. anymore. Mm-hmm. And over the last year and a half, I've watched so many of the women go on to become friends and they're my friends as well now. And it's just really wonderful to have this whole community of women to support each other. We're all at different stages and some are in the midst of fertility treatments, some that's in their past, some have recently lost their babies, but it doesn't matter where you're at. We're all there to support each other. It's just, it's really been life-changing. And so do you just hold one event? Um, I suppose COVID has affected it as well. Yeah. Um, so pre-COVID, or do you have lots of events going on? Sorry. So pre-COVID, we had, um, I would organise a run once a month. And then I had other women throughout the UK who then went on to set up runs in their local areas as well. So we had about That's- six or seven different runs going off each month which was amazing and I tried to go to different parts of the country and sort of set up runs and then ladies would then go on to take them on um and then we added in some yoga and we had a couple of yoga evenings and then we had a retreat weekend which was amazing and we did yoga oh, wow. and running and cakes obviously <laughs> cake <laughs> yeah and cake always cake. cake every event has cakes and goodie bags um and then we were just like gathering such momentum and it was just going from strength to strength. And then COVID came along and the brakes got slammed on and it was like, now what do we do? Because the main purpose is to connect with each other. How do we stay connected when we can't physically be together? And I'm sure I'm probably speak for a lot of people before March. I'd never heard of Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> I'd never used it I obviously FaceTime but I'd never used Zoom um, 
and I'd met a girl in Brighton who um, organised all the cakes for our run there and she was leaving her job to become a yoga teacher so we'd kept in touch and I said to her do you think we could try and do a yoga class online so that we can keep each other connected with each other and she said yeah I'm up for it let's give it a go so in March we started midweek mindfulness on a Wednesday evening um, and we had yoga and then we had so we have one week yoga, one week a guided meditation. And it's amazing because you can do it at home, in your bed, in your pajamas. <laughs> Loads of people go to sleep afterwards. It's really relaxing. And it's just, it, well, we're still going strong now. So, really? Oh, yeah, that's every brilliant. week we've been going now for, since March. So we've done that and various other online events. And it's been really lovely because everyone has said, despite the fact that we're not physically together, they still feel a part of the community. And it's enabled us to reach more women than we ever would have been able to in a fixed location because anyone can join in. Um, and if you're nervous about coming along, it doesn't matter because you can keep your video off, you can keep your audio off, but you can still True. get to experience it. And then you see, like, as everyone gets a bit braver, then the videos come off or the audio comes off, or some never yeah. do, and that's completely fine. And that's what I wanted it to be a space where you can come and you can share as much or as little as you want to. So, um, and do, you, do you connect on another level as well? Do you have like a, a Facebook group or anything like that to sort of so, allow people to post or ask questions? Or? Um, we don't have a Facebook group, but we do have some Instagram like group chats. So, yeah, we've got groups of women in different parts of the country where I put them in touch with each other. We have like a midweek mindfulness chat and things, but then lots of the women will then chat to each other outside of that because they know each other are at the groups and things and we have time at the start where we chat to each other as well so it's really it's been really lovely and it's really saved me because I don't know what I would have done if we hadn't have had that to focus on each week it's really amazing I think it's a fabulous idea um I Thank know what running you. does for me so um I hope it's doing the same for other women as well it's really incredible um, Thank you. you should be very proud of yourself thank you <laughs> um at the end of my podcast um i always like to ask three questions um are you happy to answer my my little questions yes um so if you could have coffee um with any other woman um who would it be and why so this is a two-part answer for this one because it nice. was I, I after reading jessica hepburn's book i desperately wanted to meet her to thank her for how much she had inspired me to start running and without it there wouldn't have been the Rainbow Running Club um, and actually in January this year I was really fortunate that I got to meet her for a coffee Amazing. and we, ran, yeah, and we ran together and we had cake Yay. together oh wow <laughs> although she had a sausage roll she didn't have a cake <laughs> she did <just laughs> say to me is it compulsory do I have to have cake <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's incredible. So that was really a dream come true. Um, and she has been an incredible supporter of the Rainbow Running Club ever since. Oh, I'm so pleased. That's so lovely. And it was so lovely that's... to be able to say to her, you know, how much her words had meant to me. Because at the time, she was one of the first people to openly share their own struggles and infertility experience and what IVF was like. Um and there wasn't the Instagram community and all the support that there is today. So I was so mm -hmm. thankful for her and that I got to meet her. So I've kind of ticked that one. 
But recently I've just read uh, Glennon Doyle's book, Untamed. Um, and yes. it's an incredible book. Um, and literally I have turned over nearly every single corner of every page because I'm like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so much of the way she just makes you look at things in a completely different way. So I would now love to meet her and say how much of a difference her book has made to me. So she's now on my wish list. <laughs> That's awesome. That's amazing. Um, and since becoming a mum, is there anything you found yourself saying that your mum used to say to you? I was thinking about this earlier and I think there are things, but I can't think of exactly what phrases. <laughs> but I do hear myself like when we go out for a walk together and I'll say, come on you know come on we've got to get home now and then I can hear my mum saying exactly the same and I just think yeah. I sound exactly like my mum <laughs> and is that okay or are you rolling your own eyes going oh no <laughs> I think you spend so much of your life thinking I'm not I don't want to be like my mum I want to be independent <laughs> and then you slowly realize that you that you are but now I hear my daughter saying the things that I say and I think well that you know we have huge impact on our daughter's lives yeah, and what we say and how we react to things. So it's only natural that we would in turn end up sounding like them. <laughs> the circle of life really, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> and any, um, any mum hacks or any advice you could, um, you could give to anyone else who is either going through a similar experience to you or, or just since becoming a mum? Be kind to yourself. And I know it's really, really difficult because it's always easy to put everything else and everyone else above yourself. But you have to look after yourself too because you can't run your family and everything and not allow yourself any time because you, you can't keep giving away and not give yourself anything. So I'm not very good at letting go. I'm not very good at asking for help, but it's not a sign of weakness. And you sound like my husband <laughs> not a sign of weakness it's like every all day you I, can, I can do this <laughs> I know well I'm the same I can do it I can do it all I can do 10 things at once and then you just you know in tears because you're like I can't do it all <laughs> why aren't you helping me yeah exactly so just be kind to yourself and try to do something for yourself at some point each week be that yoga or running or read a book or have a bath just something and I know that it's I'm my own worst enemy and I always do ev everything I can to make sure that all the jobs are ticked off the list but they never will be so you have to make sure you're on that list too and to look after yourself absolutely because things always get added as well. So oh, they do. That's what I said to my friend the other day. Like, I always feel like I can't switch off. I can't relax until everything's ticked off. But as soon as you tick them off, they come back on again. <laughs> <laughs> the jobs never end. <laughs> so you just and have to learn to, to give yourself some time. Yeah. And also eat cake. Yeah, yeah and eat that. cake. Cake, yes. Great. Cake Cute. makes everything I, better. I thought, I thought you weren't going to say that then. I was getting no. <laughs> no, I was looking through my photos the other day. I think lockdown has mainly been baking cakes. <laughs> and haven't you done some baking as part of the, of the um, Rainbow Club as well? Yes, we did a um, bake, -along, bake Along Together for Baby Loss Awareness Week. We all made rainbow um, cupcakes, so that was really lovely. Like on and Zoom at the same time? Yeah, on Zoom at the same oh, time. Oh, that's amazing. So that was really fun. Um, and then we um, had like a competition. So it was 
we were all making the same cakes. Everyone had the same kits, but it was how you assembled them and how you photographed them. Um, and we're going to be doing another one in January where we're going to make rainbow bagels, which I'm really excited for because I've never oh, I made saw bagels. that. That looks yeah. amazing. Yeah. Oh, that looks so awesome. So I'm excited and was, anyone's, um, was anyone's cakes an absolute disaster? No, there were a few hiccups along the way because it's quite strange. Like cooking te- or baking cakes takes quite a lot of concentration and trying to do that whilst you've got an audience is a bit of a cooker so there were a few you know where like people had forgotten to do bits but everyone's cakes looked perfect at the end so i'm I'm looking forward to seeing the pictures of the bagels yeah if you can send the kit out to dubai that would be well i can find out if i can (laughs) (laughs) i will be there i would i'd love to do that incredible um and lucy how can people um get in touch with you or find you on the socials um so i listen to me on the socials on the socials yeah I'm so not. <laughs> <laughs> so you can find we our website is uh rainbowrunningclub.co.uk and I'm on Instagram at of mother of one. Thank you so so much for your time and for speaking to me and sharing your story. Thank and you. honestly, I think what you're doing is just brilliant. I love it. I absolutely love it. And I think everyone should get involved because uh running saves me daily. Um and I think it could probably save the world if everyone got involved. So I couldn't agree more. <laughs> Have a lovely rest of the day. And thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. I want to say a big thank you to Lucy for kicking off this year's podcast. It's no secret that I'm a big fan of running. So absolutely love what Lucy is doing and can only emphasize a million times over what she is saying. Movement is medicine. Whilst I know it can be hard to get your trainers on and out the door, you will thank yourself when you've finished. If you're not sure where to start, obviously you can contact Lucy, or there are loads of apps these days that can help you. Or of course, you're always welcome to drop me a message too. I know times are still very strange for many of you, particularly for listeners in the UK, but I hope you all manage a super week and I look forward to you tuning in again next Thursday. Bye.